Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. We're told never to judge a book by its cover. And um, on Wednesday, Thursday, Mary Jane usually wants us to have a sermon title. So I gave her a sermon title, and the title I gave was Watch Your Step. And I didn't mean that to sound nasty, like we're watching, you know what I'm saying? Until uh, Brandon Chastain said that he saw it in the uh, sermon app on his phone, and it's titled Watch Your Step, Pastor Max. <laughs> so maybe you should just think of. Uh, Follow this pattern, because that's what we're going to talk about today from our text. So let's hear our text this morning from Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk... Of, off, of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, now as we have the privilege of hearing from your word, we ask that you would make it go into us, into our hearts to speak right to our wills, right to the, the innermost place, Father, in us, and that we would, in, the con- in this setting and in, in hearing your words, that we would see what you have said and that before us would be the, the, the face of Jesus. Lord, help us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Paul starts by talking and he says, join in following my example and observe those who walk. And you could say what he's saying here is that is to become a fellow imitator with me and those who walk like I walk. You could say he's saying, follow my example, which he is, but he's also saying, become a fellow follower with me. Paul is calling them to join in his walk, a walk that he walks with others. It says, according to the pattern you have in us. They walk in a pattern. Now, we see patterns in many things. We see patterns in stars, constellations, snowflakes, music, knitted sweaters. We see patterns in, patterns in wallpaper. Have you ever tried to hang wallpaper? Sometimes it's easy until you get those pieces that have, 
you know, like tiny little veins that unless you're really there watching the big picture, you don't see it. But there's a pattern there. We understand patterns in our lives, and patterns can be understood in relation to how we walk. Paul says we walk according to a pattern, and people do follow patterns when they're actually walking literally. Sometimes people blaze patterns through the snow. If you're, if you're smaller and you've had to walk through deep snow, you're always grateful that somebody has walked in front of you and they've pushed the snow aside. And then after 40 people have walked through that place, you see this wonderful path and everyone has followed the pattern of the one who went through first. And so is Paul talking about a literal footpath that has some kind of spiritual uh, application or benefit? Well, we, we understand these kinds of literal paths as well. Have you ever heard of the Via Della Rosa? Anybody ever heard of the Via Della Rosa? Okay. And so people often will go to Jerusalem and they will walk on that physical path and they're thinking often, many of them are thinking, I am doing something efficacious. I am doing something that's helping me somehow spiritually by walking on this path. Now, it's not wrong to go to Jerusalem, and it's not wrong to see those places. It could be very interesting to see the path and say, you know what, Jesus was actually here. That could be very interesting. Or this man was here. That could be interesting. It could be good to go to the Mount of Olives and say, wow, this is the Mount of Olives. This is actually the place. But it doesn't get you special merit. Some people even go further. They'll walk a long path. Like the Via, uh, I'm sorry, the El Camino de Santiago. Have you ever heard of this path? 500 miles long, right? This is a long pilgrimage that people take. It's mostly through the south of Spain, isn't it? Does it start in France? I don't know. But it's mostly, mostly through the south, south of Spain, and it ends on the, on near the coast in the south of Spain at this, uh, at this uh, cathedral, this church, where, you know, they have um, a, a piece of the cross there. I have to always think about the pieces of the cross. Because it always makes me wonder, just so you know, you think this too, right? It always makes me wonder after the crucifixion, and I don't mean this in a flippant way. Do you, can you imagine the people thinking, well, we've got to save that. I don't think they did. I think there was anything like this and I don't think there was any I I just think all of that is just ridiculous absolutely ridiculous okay but they supposedly have a piece of the cross there and they have uh, they have a statue of the patron saint of that church there in the front and it's standing on a granite pedestal and so many pilgrims have walked this pilgrim path 500 miles, they come to this point, it's the end, and they have the privilege of putting their hand on the granite pedestal that holds up the statue, touching it, you know, this kind of tactile kind of connection that they make. They always touch in the same place, and there have been so many people that have touched it that it's actually worn the imprint of a hand right into the granite. There is a, a handprint chewed right in, Right? That's the place where they have the giant 180-pound incense sensor that they swing the whole length of it. These six guys pulling on the rope and they swing this back and forth. 
This is what you get after you walk that, that long path. You get to go into this place and see all those things. It's interesting. It's probably a beautiful walk. It's a, probably a fascinating place. It's probably fascinating to see an 180-pound sensor swinging through, making smoke in this room. Does it do anything for you spiritually? Is it efficacious for your soul to have walked that walk and to saw, see that spent sensor and put your hand into that print in the granite pole? No. No. But there is something important about us understanding what it means to walk in a pattern and that we can see and it helps us to see and understand by thinking of literally walking. It's not what Paul is talking about. He would say that those people who think that walking actual paths get them something, they would say that they're deceived, right? But this walking that Paul is talking about is walking related to how we live, how we act, how we behave. He's following an example set by another. He says, become a fellow imitator with me. Who is he imitating? We read earlier in the chapter, and we've heard this preached to us a few weeks ago, where Paul talks about uh, he, how he used to put confidence in the flesh. Now, he never li- literally says that in the chapter. He doesn't say, I used to put confidence in the flesh. That's not how he says it. But it's certainly inferred in what he does say. He says, well, uh, if, if anybody can put confidence in the flesh, I can. And we know that he was blind in how he lived when he was putting confidence in the flesh. And when he gets to the section where he talks about that, he says, whatever things were gained to me by that stuff I did in the flesh, whatever things were gained to me, I've counted loss for the sake of Christ. Everything is lost for the sake of Christ. That It's all rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. That's what he says. What had happened to Paul? Paul had been walking according to a pattern, The pattern you could call Paul's confidence in the flesh pattern, it's a lot like other people's confidence in the flesh patterns. I grew up in a, a denomination, and there were people in that denomination who had confidence in the flesh, and you could tell how they dressed and how they acted and how they comported themselves that they were all of the same pattern. I won't say it was that the pattern was the pattern it should have been. I'm just saying that it was a pattern. And Paul had a pattern, and he says... And it was a common pattern. And he says, it's rubbish. It's just rubbish. Confidence in the flesh. He was confirmed in the old pattern in his legalism. And he was also confirmed in his immoderation. It's it's easy to see Paul having legalism. It's easy to see him having confidence in the flesh as a legalist. But is is it easy to see Paul being a man who gave himself to indulgence? Well, he actually confesses that he does. We don't actually see this much in the scripture, but at one point, Paul talks about how hearing God's law affected him. He said, when I read in the law, you shall not covet, what happened? What did he say happened? This wellspring of covetousness just sprung up out of me. And he, the sin of covetousness just became so apparent, it was just knocking me over. It was overwhelming me, all the covetousness that I felt. Paul saw both his legalism confidence and he saw his sin and his, and his wickedness before God in the context of his indulgence as well. 
And he says, I'm abandoning this pattern. I'm abandoning this self-righteousness, and I'm abandoning this sin, these sins. I consider them all rubbish. Paul saw Jesus. He received righteousness by faith. And when it happened, he said, I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Just like Simeon in the New Testament, Paul could say, he saw Jesus. He says, he could say just like Simeon, my eyes have seen your salvation. I see him. I see Jesus Christ. I see your salvation. He's there. And this is the indispensable key to everything he's going to say concerning walking the pattern that he walks. Without this, there is no walking of the pattern. The indispensable thing is that Paul could see Jesus Christ. He could see his salvation. He was delivered by faith, and we're going to see that more in a minute. And so Paul could say, be imitators of God, as he says in Hebrews 5, as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So we walk in love, we're imitators of the Father, because Christ gave himself up for us, because we see Jesus and we see this salvation, we walk like our Father. We start acting like our Father, we imitate our Father. And you, if you've been around sons, or maybe you've been a son, or a daughter, our children imitate us. Have you ever had your child imitate you? Good or bad? <laughs> yeah. God wants us to imitate him, but we can only do that if we've seen him. And we only see God by seeing Christ and his salvation for us. That's the only way we can see God is through Jesus Christ. And Paul loved Christ above all else. He needed to live by, by faith in Jesus Christ. His old pattern had to be destroyed. He knew his old pattern had to be destroyed. What he was calling his flesh. The Bible sometimes calls this the old self. In reference to your former manner of life, Ephesians 4 says, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So you have the old self laid aside, you have the new self put on, it's put on because you've seen Christ and you've received salvation by faith, and so what do you do? Well, your new self is made in the likeness of God, and so you start imitating God. You start living like God. He describes it in another way in Galatians 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is the life I'm going to live now. But I'm crucified with Christ. The old self had to die. The scripture continues with the pattern. After his death, Christ was buried, and then he was raised. The old self has to die, it has to be crucified, it has to be buried, and it has to be raised in newness of life. All of those realities are written about in God's word 
over and over again, in fact. They're written about in God's Word. There's a, this complete process of how God takes away the old and brings us the new, and that the new is new life, and it's new life for us now. So it says in Romans 6, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. It says the same thing in Colossians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 6, it says, But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision means anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's all that matters. That God has made me new. He has made me alive. We're raised to new life. This is the beginning of our hope for the final resurrection to eternal life with glorified bodies. But we are born again and resurrected now. We're resurrected to new life now. We have been crucified with him. We have been Dead, we have been buried, and he has raised us to new life now. We're already experiencing the tokens, the beginnings, the realities. We are looking forward to the consummation of the resurrection and that our bodies would be raised to new bodies that would never, ever see decay again and be glorified. But we are alive now. (laughs) Alive. Now, you see, resurrected and alive. Born again to new life. Have you heard born again before? Anybody? Anybody remember Jimmy Carter? He wasn't the guy that coined the phrase. Okay? This is to be born again. This is to be born to life. 1 Peter 1 says, God and the God, our Father, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have been born to life through Jesus Christ's resurrection. Though you have not seen him, it says in chapter 1, verse 8, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Though you do not see, have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now. Right now. Right now. This is what Paul saw. This is what he understood. He understood it. He lived in it. We sang the song, Thou lovely source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil the beauties to my sight that I might see thee more. Now. 
right now. How old do you have to be? How old do you have to be? Pastor Max can see it because he's sappy. Is that it? He's just gotten old in this stuff. He's become sappy. Can you, can you see the wonder of God's new life for you when you're 10? You know, we sang, how does the song go? Uh, he has ordained the mouth of babes. That what? Songs of joy would ever flow. That they would what? Silence every foe. Listen, you don't have to be old to see Jesus Christ, to know Jesus Christ, to understand who He is. You don't have to be old to understand that you have an old self that needs to be crucified, dead, and buried, and raised in Christ. You don't have to be an old man to understand that. And I hope you don't try to wait. Don't try to wait, because it won't do you a bit of good. But you don't have to be old to understand it. Paul understood it, and this was the, this was the foundation for everything he was talking about. And he says, I'm never going to go back. I can't go back to that old self. I can't do it. He says in Galatians 2.18, If I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I, pr- I prove myself to be a transgressor. He's saying, I, I gave up all that self-righteousness. That's all been placed on the cross. It's been crucified with Christ. That old self is gone. I've been raised. I'm a new person now. I can't go back and try to raise that guy up. That would be, that would be destruction. Paul had changed his pattern of walking. He was now walking in Christ according to the pattern of Christ by faith. He called the Philippian church to do the same. Join me and all of those who walk according to this pattern. We are called to do the same. The scripture is full of this. If you just think about places where it references this kind of pattern, it uses certain words to do it. One of the words is the word in our text, and that is walk. So if you just go through the scripture and do a search of walk, I have a few of them I'll read to you, but you can go and find more. So here's a few. Uh, I affirm with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. How about we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works so that we would walk in them. Ephesians 5, you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. Colossians 1, we pray that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Colossians 2, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. 1 John 2, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. They talked about this. Two different guys talking about the same thing, right? Romans 6, he was raised so that we might walk in the newness of life. Romans 8, we, we are those who have the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 1 John 1, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
You see? It's just all there. It's just all again and again and again and again and again. There is a new life. The old self is gone and there's a new life. But the new life comes because we have faith in Jesus Christ. And the pattern that we walk is a is a product of that new life and that faith. We have, we have seen Jesus and his salvation has been applied to us and in our hearts. We know it. We believe it. We, it's, it's in us to the bone. It's right to the bone that Jesus is our Savior. And we belong to him. These are just a few of the verses. If you want to look at more, look up the word where it talks about abiding. Look out where it talks about being in Christ. Look up where it talks about being in Him. You can just keep looking and doing these searches, and what you'll find is that the Scripture is just full, absolutely full of this, these, this pattern of being in Christ and what it means. There is something in church construction called a, fruce, a, a cruciform shape. Have you ever heard of a cruciform shape? I know a few people have. That's when they build church buildings. I've been in at least one in Cincinnati, Ohio. And it is a building that's built. Our building here is built in the shape of a... Uh, it's, it's its own kind of shape. It's a box with a pimple. That's what we used to say. But, but no, these, these churches are built in a cruciform shape. They're built in the shape of the traditional shape of the cross. And usually the place where they serve communion is right in the center where the, the beams would cross, right? And then the people would set to the outsides. Maybe the choir would set up here, right? And that's how it is. Well, people have talked and used to talk about the idea that when we are following the pattern of Jesus Christ in our living and in our walking, we are following and living the cruciform life. That we are fashioned after Jesus Christ and walking and living in the cruciform life. Paul calls us to join him in walking after the pattern of Christ. He says in chapter 1 of Philippians, for me to live is Christ. Chapter 2, have Christ's attitude within you. Chapter 3, Oh, that I would be found in him. That I would be found in him. It is his theme of walking in Jesus Christ. Going on with our text. For many walk, of whom I have told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Paul says he tells them this weeping. And he's talked about these enemies before. And he doesn't make it clear why he's weeping. I don't know. It could be because he is concerned about their souls. Or it could be that he's concerned about the damage that they do to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Or it could be that he's concerned about both. But it affects him so much that he weeps about it. And he says, uh, you know, we, we could think about, well, if, is he's talking here about the Judaizers that he's referred to earlier in the chapter and earlier in the book? And 
It could be that it's the Judaizers, or it could be that it's just people, as we're getting into the explanation, or the, uh, uh, yes, the descriptions in a second. It could be that he's talking about a different group of people, but it seems apparent that whoever he's talking about claim to be believers in Christ. They're making, they're making the uh, assertion that they are followers of Jesus, but in the context, it's clear that there's something very wrong. Something very wrong. And so these men and women, he says, are enemies of the cross because their God is their appetite. And this word literally just means belly or like the void inside of you, right? And so what does that mean? Well, these people all just gluttons? Is that the issue that's going on? Well, certainly it can mean that their God is food and that's gluttony. But it also just means that it, it broadly applies to any appetite that people may have. It could be talking that they want to satiate, that they give themselves over to satiate and satiate. Lust, drink, money, leisure, power entertainment, anything that is a god of somebody that is their appetite, that they're seeking to satiate and fill. He says that their glory is their shame. They're proud of sin. They're proud of their sin. They're proud of how much they can drink. They're proud of how much they fornicate. We have heard people talking about this in this culture. We have heard people talking about and bragging about their fornication. We have heard them talking and bragging about their drinking. We have heard people bragging about murdering their unborn children and strutting about that they have done such a thing. We have heard people talking about their sexual deviancy and bragging that they're proud. All you have to do is say the word pride today. And it has an entirely different meaning than it used to. And what is that but glorying in your shame? And all of these people that I've named, all of these people, all of these situations where they're proud of their drink and they're proud of their uh, fornication and they're proud of their murdering of their children and they're proud of their pride... I can find examples in all of them and several more. I can find examples where they will say to you, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And things haven't changed a lot. Do you understand? Paul knew the same people. He knew the same people. He says, their minds are set on earthly things. They're walking according to the old self. They're thinking about their lives now. You know, there are some atheists who oppose abortion. And they oppose euthanasia. And the the reason they give for opposing abortion and euthanasia is that they believe this is the only life they have. You You should never shorten it in any way. And so for them to live it all and have it all now, that's what they hope. That's all they hope for. And these people, this is what they're thinking. They're only thinking about now, this life, this end, this time. I got to get it all in that I can get in. But some of them who want to get it all in that they can get in are saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. 
I'm a Christian. Their end is destruction. Enemies of the cross while claiming to be in Christ. They continue to walk in the pattern of the old self. Now this is something that I was thinking, well, okay. We have to understand the cross uh, and its functions to understand how these are enemies of the cross. And maybe you have no trouble with this, but I had to wrap my mind around it a little bit. Because I thought to myself, why would somebody who uh, lives a life where they're not following the pattern of Jesus, why would they be an enemy of Jesus dying for their sins? Wouldn't they rather say, well, he's died for my sins, so I can sin all I want to. Isn't that what they would rather say? Wouldn't they rather say, I'm glad he's died for my sins because he's covered me because of all these sins. In other words, Jesus' work on the, on the cross for the atoning for their sin, why would that make them an enemy? You see, the, you see where I'm going with this? Why would, it make, why would they be an enemy of the cross? I could see these people saying, well, yeah, I accept that he atoned for my sins. I'm glad he atoned for my sins. I love the cross because Jesus atoned for my sins on the cross. Is, is, you get where I'm going? They're an enemy of the cross for some reason. Why are they an enemy of the cross? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me that they're an enemy of the cross because Jesus saved them from, the, for their, from their sins on the cross. That would make them glad for the cross. I think Paul has given us the answer. They're an enemy of the cross not as it saves, but they're an enemy of the cross as it represents their own death to their old man, their own crucifixion, their own burial, and their own need for the power of God to raise them. The cross becomes their enemy because the cross doesn't just represent Jesus dying, it represents every follower of Jesus joining him there on the cross. Have you considered the cross as your friend in your sanctification? I mean, that's where I'm going with this question. Have you considered the cross as your friend as regards your sanctification? We all consider it our friend as, re- as regards our atonement, right? And the, and, the, and the removal of our sins. But do you consider it your friend as regards your sanctification? When Jesus says, if you come after me, you've got to pick up your cross daily and follow me. Do you look at that cross and say, oh, I'm sure glad. I love this cross. Paul's making this argument. He makes this argument. But listen to what it says in Romans 8. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Paul understood and loved the cross. Not just because Jesus died there for his sins, but because he himself has been crucified there. That old self is dead. It's it's crucified there with Jesus. You see, we wear cross necklaces. I'm not, don't hide your cross necklace. We wear cross necklaces. We wear cross bracelets. We get crosses tattooed on our arms, right? We do all these kinds of things, but we don't, I don't think we ever think of those in terms of the fact that we are crucified with Christ. That we take our old self and our old self is nailed up there with him that our old self dies, that our old self goes into the tomb, that our old self then, by the power of God, only because it's dead and buried, only then can it be raised by God with Jesus Christ. We have to identify at every point with him. And this is what Paul sees. He sees and he says, "Ah, I love the cross. I love the cross, but these people... These people, they didn't love the cross. This is the message we heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And Paul is saying, I tell you this with tears, there are many who do not walk after the pattern of Christ. They lie. They lie. And and it's destructive. They walk in their old selves. They hate the cross. It's an enemy to them. They can never say with Paul, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now listen, if you read that in the context of this Philippians passage, you realize that Paul loves the cross. And he loves the cross He boasts about the cross, but in the context of his boasting, he's saying not just that Jesus died for me there, oh yes, that's something to boast about, but he says, I have been crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to me. I love, I'm going to boast about it. He loved the cross. He wasn't an enemy of the cross. It wasn't just Jesus there. Hanging. And you have to understand what I'm trying to say. If Paul's crucified with Christ, is Paul crucified with Christ? Not literally. But Paul's old self, he says, my old self is crucified with Christ. My old self's dead. My old self's went into the grave and it's done. I was raised new, born again. Uh, Are you joyful? (laughs) Does this make you joyful? Paul, I think, was completely joyful in his life. He was joyful. He was filled with joy. And so if you're hearing this, you should, 
you should be looking to the source where joy emanates, from which joy emanates, and that's through Jesus Christ. His salvation, his, his power to save us. Going on. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Well, citizenship is an interesting thing. I ask, uh, if you're a young person, what is, the, what is the most important form of identification that you're looking forward to or maybe just got? Important form of identification that you're looking forward to it or just got? Come on. Huh? Driver's license, right? How many of you were looking forward to your driver's license? If you're under 20, how many of you look forward to your driver's license? If you're under 18, how many of you look forward to your driver's license? Four. Four. If you have a 16-year-old kid, how many of you are looking forward to their driver's license? Now, when, you, when you're that age, you look forward to your driver's license. It's your ID. But it's not just your ID. It represents emancipation, liberty, power. I don't know. All these kinds of things. You get the driver's license. What do you do? You hide it. Hope nobody finds out I got that. No, you pull it out. Look at that. Look at that. See that fine picture? Right. When you're older and they ask you for your ID, what do you do? You pull it out. Hope they don't know that that's not my real weight. Right. We look forward to this identification. And when we're asked for an ID, this is what we generally present here. But when you go to Rwanda and they ask for identification, do you pull out your Indiana driver's license? No. They don't really care. What's Indiana? Don't even know what that is. What do you pull out? Your passport. You pull out your passport and your passport says you are a citizen of the United States. And if you're in Rwanda, that means something. But even when you're in Rwanda, if you're a citizen of the United States, you realize you ought to actually have some thoughts of, you know what, I'm visiting here and I should probably not do something bad. Probably shouldn't rob banks or, you know, whatever. I'm, I should actually demonstrate something good about being a citizen of the United States. They're looking at you. They think something good about you even if you don't deserve it, Right? But that's your identification when you're there. I'm a citizen of the United States. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven now. If we are in Christ by faith, our citizenship is in heaven now. If we've been raised to new life, our citizenship is in heaven now. Right now. We are not present with him there, but we are present with him here. Our citizenship is here. He is here living in us he has changed us. We actually now have a new form of identification. 
we had a form of identification. It might have said old self. Now we have a new form of identification, and it says new creation, new creature, heaven, citizen of heaven. And this is what we, this is what we have from God. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. The resurrection has already begun. You've been raised to new life. You're already walking in the newness of life as a citizen of heaven. We belong to heaven and heaven to us. We don't behave like people around here because we're from somewhere else. We're from someplace else. We have a different identification. Peter says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We proclaim his excellencies as we live as citizens of his kingdom. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. And you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as aliens and strangers, to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. What form of ID is important to you now? If you're a high school student, is your ID that says you can drive a car more important than if you could actually produce a physical ID that says you're a citizen of heaven, which is more important? Which one do you think is the most important one to lead with when people ask who you are? Well, who are you? Well, I'm a driver. No, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Older people, same question. What's your ID? Passport. Oh, man, I got a passport. I got the passport with the nifty extra stars or whatever it is. I don't know what you can get now. I've got this passport. I've got the, the black I, or the visa, you know, the special, what color is it? I don't know, right? The unlimited funds. That's my, oh, look at I got, right? No. No, no, no. Lead with the best. <laughs> Lead with the best because that's the pattern that you're setting That's the pattern that you're supposed to be walking in. You lead with the very best. What is the pattern that you're walking? Are you an enemy of the cross? Have you thought about whether you're a friend of the cross? Not just the cross that brings about your forgiveness of sins, but the the cross that gets rid of all that foul wickedness in you? Is it a friend to you? What is the pattern of your walking today? Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your mercies in our lives today that we would know your Son, that we would see him in, his, in the wonderful offering that you make to us of righteousness, Father, through Jesus Christ. 
that we would turn away from our self-righteousness, that we would turn away from our wicked indulgences, that we would see them for what they are, that they're death, that their end is destruction, and that we would in faith turn to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that we would have your salvation, that our old self would be nailed up on the cross, that we would go into the tomb, and that in your power you would raise us up with Christ to new life, Father. Strengthen us and help us to walk according to the pattern that you've called us to, that you've brought us to, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.